Welcome to another edition of the One Drink Book Club. Today's book is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Demon Copperhead tells the story of a smart and charismatic boy growing up in Southern Appalachia who is constantly dealing with poverty, drug addiction, abandonment, foster homes, and death. My guest is David Lyles, a good friend who is a big reader as well as a boater, bike rider, and former chief of staff to a longtime senator from Michigan. Thanks for joining me, David. My pleasure, Jamie. So you recommended this to me in a Facebook post. Tell me why you liked this book, because I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great suggestion. Well, Jamie, maybe you remember, I'm about snake phobic. So to think that I would enjoy a book with the word copperhead in the, in the title <laughs> is a little, a little strange, especially since we have a lot of copperheads on the side of the mountain I'm living on right now. But anything that Barbara Kingsolver writes is going to be a good book. You know, I, I'd read four or five of her books before Demon Copperhead. And I read several more afterwards. She's a tremendous, tremendous writer. And I guess the thing that struck me most about Demon Copperhead, Jamie, was we all heard about the opioid epidemic in this country and what it was doing to rural America. But this book brought that home to me more than any newspaper article or any news report it really brought home to me how damaging it was to small town rural communities. I kind of wondered, as I'd see these huge settlements from some of the pharmaceutical companies, I wondered, what, what was their liability here? She puts very clearly what their liability was. Yeah, I thought she did a great job of not being necessarily preachy about it from a public <laughs> policy standpoint, but you put the nail on the head. She put real stories and real examples exactly. of how people were just taken advantage of by the system and by even the the way that the Medicare and Medicaid and disability had all played into kind of the growth of these things. And so I, I agree. And it was interesting for me. I grew up in a small town. It wasn't Appalachia, but it was a smaller town. And I knew people from small towns in the Midwest. And I thought it did a very good job too of kind of describing how different life was and entertainment was. And if you live in a big urban place, you have access to a lot more distractions. And in these smaller towns, you know, the shell station is the place people gather because they don't have any restaurants or they're, they're right. very limited on those things. And so I thought she did that very well. And I don't know about you, but I Googled, you know, Lee County and did it on Google maps to see where it was and try to place some of those things um, it's in Southside, Virginia, I believe. Yeah. And it's only about an hour south of Blacksburg. And, you know, my daughter went to Virginia Tech, so right. I've been to that area quite a bit. But it was almost shocking to me that that place was within a five-hour drive of where I live. Right. Uh, right. It just seemed like a world away, but it's not far away at all. There was one scene she described where Demon and his girlfriend went to a clinic, you know, and everybody in the parking lot was trying to swap and get some drugs. It was haunting. It really was to see people were so desperate to do this. Did you read Empire of Pain, uh, which no. was kind of the story of Purdue Pharma? Great yeah. book. It was done by the Wall Street Journal reporter who kind of broke the story. Mm -hmm. And it's so disturbing. And it goes into the Sacklers and the family and their decisions. And 
one of the things that was clearly obvious in the book, but then she really spelled it out with that pain clinic that everybody was lining up in front of, which was kind of run by a sham doctor who was just yeah, yeah. sitting there prescribing pills, pills, pills for everybody who walked through the door. And it just goes to show that Purdue Pharma was shipping him these pills. They knew that this guy was writing whatever thousands of prescriptions a week for them to claim later that they had no idea that these were being abused or that this was happening was just obviously bulk. Actually, you know, they, they know it. But you know, Jamie, we were caught up in the story of the opioid catastrophe, but the description of the uh, foster child situation in the County was pretty harrowing too. Yeah. One of the things in this book, there are plenty of villains to go around, but there's also some real positive people who care, but the foster system and the people in it just seemed despicable. I think one of the people I hated the worst was uh, Mr. Crickson, which was kind of this farmer who lived by himself and was using the boys sent to him as pretty much slave labor. Exactly. Yeah. And not giving them decent meals or decent place to live. Well, and he went to another family too that did the same thing where they were practically starving him yeah, uh, yep. because it wasn't profitable for them to have him and then feed him too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, it was so sad to see that. And I think King Solver tried to pin some of it on the fact that the system was privatized to some degree, but I'm not fully convinced one way or another, whether it was private or government, that it would be much better one way right. or another. Right. But it really is a shame. I hope there are good foster parents out there. I know that there probably is. Oh, I, I know some in Arlington. I yeah. know some in Arlington, Jamie. There are really, really wonderful foster parents out there. In the rural community where this took place, I don't think there was the oversight from the social workers that there needed to be. I'm sure they were stretched way too thin. Yeah. And so they really couldn't keep track of what they needed to keep track of. And there's one scene in it where Demon was telling his social worker about the abuses at one of the houses. And she said, well, those two boys that are being whipped and abused aren't under her company or her jurisdiction. So like she couldn't do anything about it, but it, it just seemed crazy that if you had a kid telling you, Hey, this stuff is happening, this abuse is happening and you're the social worker that you don't do anything about it. You know, I think I I told you that the nice thing about a Kindle is when you find something you like, you can just leave it there and come back to it. And I do that with the last three or so pages of the book where Angus says, let's drive to the ocean and show it to you. And he suddenly realizes, good Lord, the girl has set her cap, not my sister. (laughs) All that he had gone through in the book to finally come to that realization, it was just heartwarming. I kind of wondered. You know, that's not the first time that phrase was used in the book. The girl has set her cap because remember it was somebody he was living with and she told demon, I think that girl has set her cap. I think it was, demon thought it was somebody else. Yep. That was his Betsy Woodall. I think. Yes. Um, yes. His paternal grandmother said that. That's right. He did think it was somebody else. And so that was the thing I liked about it because there were parts of the book that I found really hard to keep reading on because you saw him spiraling in this really? addictive funk. And when he went to live with his girlfriend who was addicted, you knew this was not going to turn out well. Right. And right. 
if I had one complaint about the book is that I thought it was maybe a little longer than it needed to be because I just felt so depressed about his situation, but it did end in a way that was inspirational. I don't want to give away the ending, but you you felt good at the end and you felt yes, like you he, did. Had, you did. he had come through the storm, but man, it was rough there for a while. And the amount of time that he had to spend in rehab or under supervision, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it takes that long to get off the stuff, I guess. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I read Empire of Pain and I had some medical procedure not long after that. And they gave me some Oxycontin and I flushed it down the toilet. I didn't take any of them. After reading a book like this or Empire of Pain, you don't want to touch it. Like it's crazy. Right. What a blight on society. Exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of addictions, I have not covered what my cocktail was for tonight. And this was a little tough to come up with an inspired cocktail because they drink in the book, but there's not like something that was obvious. So I actually invented a cocktail. Because I was trying to think, all right, Appalachia, small town. So I started with what I thought was the perfect base, and that is Mountain Dew. This is Mountain Dew, vodka, a little bit of grapefruit juice, and then a cherry, because I feel like Dory or some of the women in the book would like kind of a fancy drink. I didn't have any um, umbrellas for it. And I'm calling it the Lee County Cooler as my cocktail for tonight. Well, congratulations. Very appropriate. (laughs) Well, like I said, there were a lot of really heartwarming characters that did at least try to help Demon out throughout the book. Who were some of your favorite people who were good influences in his life? Well, I think the best person in the book, the one that appealed to me most was Angus. Yeah. You know, she kind of never lost faith in him. Uh, she, she stayed in contact with him. There were others. Well, Angus's father was, he was a little too wedded to football. <laughs> yeah. Although he did provide the most stable home. That's that true. He experienced and the That's fact true. that he could have all he wanted to eat. And yeah. that, 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 that seemed horrible to me to be constantly worried about your next meal. But I thought the Peggots in general were a really great family. Aunt June and Grandma Peggett, they also provided a structure for Demon and yes. showed him yeah. what family actually looked like since he had really no examples on his own side. Even if he didn't like her oysters. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think one of the most heartbreaking parts of it was when he was looking for a home and he broke down and asked Grandma Peggett if he could live with them. And when she had to tell him no, and it was for obvious reasons, they were getting old. They just didn't have what they could, but it was just a heartbreaking conversation where these were the only people he knew who were parental to him and them kind of rejecting him made you just, uh, it was really tough to read that scene or hear that scene. I listened to this book in the, the narrator did an incredible job of the dialects and the, the voices and everything else. I've grown to really appreciate good voiceover talents uh, for these books, and and she did a great job. Another question I had, some of the things I really liked about Demon was the author's ability to have Demon make observations. Some of his phrases, which I thought were great, his skull movies and things like that, 
I was so impressed at her ability to also write his dialogue and even his thinking, both as a small child and growing up and, mm -hmm. and changing it as it happened. Right. Um, right. You're such a gifted writer. Yeah. Un unbelievable. And this motivated me to read the Poisonwood Bible. And in there, she did the same thing where there was lots of children at different ages and parents and her ability to get in their head and whether it's their internal dialogue or their external dialogue, make it seem age appropriate and also right. insightful. Whereas I find some writers, their characters' observations are so deep that I think, well, nobody thinks like that, but hers seems so natural. It's so impressive. Have you read other King Solver books? Oh my goodness. Yeah. The Poisonwood Bible is one of her earlier ones, but I kind of went on a kick of reading some of her books and I'll just call some of them up for my Kindle here. Prodigal Summer, Pigs in Heaven. I really I enjoyed Pigs in Heaven a lot. Bean Trees. The Poisonwood Bible was, it's about 20 years old, isn't it, Jane? Yeah. 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 Missionaries in Africa. Correct. Correct. It was a little brutal in some places. Yeah. And, and then King Solver actually lived in that area of rural Virginia for a while and also lived in Africa. Oh, really? Um, she, oh, I, I knew that. I knew that. She wrote some of that stuff kind of not firsthand, but at least had a real grip on what, what she was writing about there. Right. Right. Didn't just come out of her head. And I think the Poisonwood Bible also was an Oprah book early on in the Oprah book club world, which really? can really make or break an author, depending on what Oprah says. There's several I look for. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, if she endorses a book, I'm going to be interested in it because, you know, it's going to be good. Same way with Oprah. Yeah. Which is, I think is great. I love to see authors get that kind of exposure, especially if it's a first book or they're an unknown author. Because right. I think it's a real challenge to get exposure for, mm -hmm. you know, for mm -hmm. a new book. Um, there's so sure. many out sure. there. Uh, one of the things that's been fun about doing this podcast is that I've started to get book publicists sending me books. books. <laughs> yeah. I keep telling them, well, you know, this is not a, not a big operation here, yeah. but um, it's been fun. And I've done a couple first time authors where I've actually had the author on yeah. and then I will talk about it later. But one of my favorite authors is Amor Tolls who wrote A Gentleman oh, in Moscow. Well, yeah. I would be glad to talk about Amor Tolls. His new book is coming out in April, and I just read it. I got an advanced copy. What, what is it, Jamie? So it's called A Table for Two. I can't really talk about it until it gets published, but I will tell you it's really good. There were three books of Amor Tolls I read. The first one was A Gentleman in Moscow. I don't know if you want to talk about this. Sure, sure. A Gentleman in Moscow, which I was not that impressed with. Funny. But then I read The Lincoln Highway, and I just thought that was a wonderful, wonderful story. The other one was Rules of Civility, which I also thought was excellent. Yeah. Uh, I drove from here in Western North Carolina. I drove to Detroit to speak <laughs> at the memorial service for my boss, Senator Levin. And I remember driving under the Lincoln Highway, <laughs> and there's a sign on the bridge that says, The Lincoln Highway. Yeah, I've loved them all, and I have a special place for the gentleman in Moscow, but all really? of them I thought were good. Just great characters, good storytelling, and I think my least favorite was Rules of Civility, but I recently went back and reread that and liked it a lot more the second time. Right, yeah. Well, what other things are you reading that you suggest? Well, there are a couple. 
if you like Barbara Kingsolver, you'll like Lee Smith. I don't know if you know who Lee Smith is. I don't think I have read anything. Okay. Um, she grew up in, in Southside, Virginia. And the two books I would recommend most are Fair and Tender Ladies, an early one by her. And I've got to get this off my shelf. Hold a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, this is one. If, if you have an hour flight, you could pick it up and read it. It's oh, called wow. Blue Marlin by Lee Smith. Okay. Oh, my goodness. It's a little bit of a coming-of-age story of her own life. But she is a very prolific writer and very, very well-known as a Southern writer. So anything by Lee Smith is going to be a good book. I know you read I know you read Blind Your Ponies. Yeah. Excellent book. Well, wasn't that a great book? His book, uh, Until They Bring the Streetcars Back. Unfortunately, that's not available on Kindle. You have to order the book from Amazon. But it is a, it's also a coming-of-age story that is so riveting in places. I never do this. I had to go ahead, read a few pages ahead to make sure it turned out right. <laughs> it, it was a terrific book. A terrific book. Have you heard of the book West with Giraffes? No. Oh, Jamie, you, you've got to read this. It's actually a true story. Of course, the author had to, had to fill in the blanks. But the San Diego Zoo ordered two giraffes, and they came into New York through one of the worst hurricanes imaginable, and they put them on a truck <laughs> and drove them to California. And they hired this young kid to do it, and he had, he had to modify the truck so they could speak <laughs> <Sure. laughs> Oh, my goodness. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. I really, really recommend it. And the author, you know, she tells the story of what happened on this certain day, and then she'll have a newspaper clip from the time that talks oh, about sure. the two giraffes coming through, <laughs> coming through the town. Um, oh, I really that sounds re- good. Yeah, it, it's really terrific. And, well, I know you've read Boys in the Boat. Yeah, fantastic. Although I will say, have you seen the movie yet? Yeah, I did. I did. What did you think of the movie? Jamie, I thought that the book was too ambitious would have been too ambitious for me. To me, what was so remarkable about what happened was how he got to the University of Washington, not what happened after he got there. I mean, the fact that at 14, his parents said, I'm sorry, we can't feed you anymore. You're on your own. And at um, 10, they did you know a similar thing. He had to go live in the schoolhouse. I mean, yeah. yeah. Remember when he was in, they didn't show this, when he was in the University of Washington, he went out to work on the Hoover Dam. Yeah. And, he found they paid 50 cents more an hour if you'd hang over the side on a rope and drill. But the movie was very, very close to the book. Yes and no. And I understand the limitations you have when you're doing it. But the races that they did, they truncated those completely and made it seem like there was less struggle for that junior boat that made it. Right. And I was really disappointed with the character development. There was very little. Like, you didn't feel like you knew Joe. And like yeah. you said, I think if I were going to make the movie, I might focus more on the pre, oh, how, yeah, how yeah. we got there. Because that was incredible. Well, I was surprised that they could recreate the German Olympics the way they did. They did a and nice job of that. Actually, I thought the best line in the whole movie, Jamie, was not one that was in the book. When they, the guy turned to Jesse Owens and said, are you going to show those people? And he said, no, I'm going to show the people back home. Yeah. I thought that was well done and it was a nice yeah. touch, but it was also another reason where I was like, wait, that wasn't in the book. <laughs> like everything. No, that's true. <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, yeah, that was. Hey, what you've read lately. 
So um, one that I haven't done any podcasts on, have you read any of the Thursday Murder Club books? I read them all, Jamie. Love read those. Them all. Oh, my I gosh. Do. I did do. Well, I have to confess, I don't know if it's allowed to say something critical on your, on your sure. podcast. Sure. Oh, yeah. By the fourth one, they were getting a little repetitive. <laughs> Frankly, the fourth one wasn't so much about the murder club. It was about, you know, assisted suicide. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that. But yeah, those characters, though, are so endearing. They are. Um, yes, they are. And it's a shame that Betty White has passed because I feel like she would be perfect in the role of what's her name? The through the former Secret Service? Uh, no, not her, but oh, the other one. Yes, yes, the other one who <laughs> falls in love with everybody. Little boy crazy. Yeah, she's yeah. such a sweetheart. But yeah, I I have really enjoyed those. One that I haven't talked about, but we I recently reread. Have you ever read The Great Train Robbery by Michael Crichton? No. It's no. one of his first books, right. and it's all based on a train robbery that really occurred in the 1800s in England, and everything right. is taken from the trial. And so it's very close to the truth because he has he has all this testimony from the trial, but it is an unbelievable heist story, and right. it's really interesting. and. It's not a long book, and he kind of fills it in with interesting tidbits about the time, the Victorian age, and some of the culture and the city. I found it really fascinating and just great characters. They made a horrible movie version of it in either the early 80s, late 70s that you should never watch because I did watch it, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is this does a total disservice to the book. But it's a great, fun read that's really interesting. One other, one last one I want to mention to you. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Virginia Hall, a woman of no importance. I think I have heard of that one, but I haven't read it. It's a pretty remarkable story. She started out working for uh, British special operations in France and then went on to work for the OSS. She's a woman who, a remarkable woman. And what's nice about it is you kind of remember she's from Maryland. And I kind of, came across her name in my career. And when I read the book, I understood why. A remarkable story of what she did behind the lines in France during World War II. Oh, that sounds like something I'd really like. She started out, she was determined to be in the foreign service, but you know, a woman in the foreign service was not going to happen in the late thirties, but she did work in the state department and she was posted abroad and she managed to shoot her foot off in a hunting accident. So she did everything she did for the French resistance with a prosthetic foot, prosthetic foot, wow. including when the Germans got close to her, Jamie, she spent three days hiking over the Pyrenees into Spain to escape them. Oh my gosh. Actually, it's kind of a moving. My, um, my niece married a Jewish fellow and he read somewhere that that's the way a lot of Jews escaped France and escaped Europe was to hike over the Pyrenees. So not six months ago, he decided he wanted to go do that. So he did. Oh, wow. <laughs> Went to France, walked over the Pyrenees into Spain. Did you read Under the Scarlet Sky? Say that again, Under? No. Under the Scarlet Sky? Let me make sure I got that right. It, uh, Beneath a Scarlet Sky by Mark Sullivan. World War II, there are lots of stories. The, the main character who he interviewed and wrote the book from these interviews 
helped Jews escape Italy and into Switzerland. And they had to go over whatever mountains they had to go over in the winter. And he was a guide to help them do that. And the stories were just unbelievable. And you can't believe this guy also ended up being for the Italian resistance, but he had joined the German army so that because if you were an Italian young guy, you were going to get thrown in either the Italian army or the German army. Yeah. But the Italian army people got sent to the front. So they he did. Up, they got sent to Russia. Yeah. And so he ended up, he staffed a general and was his driver. So he ended up going to all these crazy meetings with Mussolini and was a firsthand witness to some incredible historic events, but then would report them all to the allies. What happened? Who said what? Yeah. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I, just yeah. finished, uh, I just finished a book about Pius XII. It, it's not attractive. No, no. Um, yeah, that was a, a pretty bad situation, but you will, you will really enjoy. Well, I'm, um, I'm looking at, I will, I'll, I'll definitely look it up. You keep thinking, I cannot believe this stuff really happened. Yeah. Some of it being like, I can't believe he was in this situation and witnessed this. And I mean, he witnessed Mussolini's hanging. He was there in the square. Like, I mean, just really crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about. Well, Danny, I want to do this again. We can spend another hour or two here. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing another one here coming up, but I think Demon Copperhead is definitely a suggested read, and Barbara Kingsolver is a, a wonderful author. And so, what's fun about finding a book like this is realizing, oh, I've got four or five more books that I haven't read by this author. I'm really looking right. forward to it. So, yeah, all right. Well, it's thank so good you. to see you and to hear your voice. Hugs to hugs to Kate and the kids, and, well, uh, and the same to yours. The same to yours.